Lord, we ask that you would open our hearts, open our minds, help us to receive from you this morning all that you have for us. Lord, we thank you that your word is uh, is yours, that it's uh, yours and that you inspired it to be spoken and to written to be written down and to be transmitted faithfully through all these years to us here this morning. And so as we consider your word, we just pray in your name, Jesus, that you would speak right to our hearts and that you would encourage and bless us as we focus on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. Okay, so have you guys heard, you guys I'm sure are aware of the caste system in India? Hands up. Yeah, you're aware of that? Yeah, everyone's pretty much sure of that. Um, I don't know too much about it except that it's like life in the ancient world, except maybe a little bit worse. In the ancient world, life was kind of divided into stratas, layers, um, except in the ancient world, it was more like a pyramid where there was one person at the top. Any guesses who that was? Caesar. That's right, the emperor, Caesar, whatever you want to call him. Um, he was at the top and then everyone, there's the senators and then there's the warriors and then there's the citizens, the merchants and the citizens and then the freedmen and then the slaves were at the bottom. Uh, in India, there's a similar system, except it's not just one person at the top. There's apparently four castes that are a part of the Hindu religion, and I'm sure, Sen, you can correct me if I'm wrong about this, uh, but this is what my researchers told me. There are four castes that represent those people who are part of the in crowd, and they perform different roles in society. So there's the priests, and then there's the warriors, and then there's two others, which I didn't really um, look into that much. They are able to obtain salvation, okay, those four castes. But then there are those who exist outside of that strata, uh, who are underneath that strata, and they are called or known as the untouchables. Have you guys heard of the untouchables? Yes, some of you, all of you, good. This is the, the name, the term that is used for them, the Dalits. Um, here's a exa- couple of examples of the ways that these sort of people are treated, Okay, a 21-year-old young man was beaten by members of a senior caste in 2017 because they accused him of bathing in public water, polluting it both physically and spiritually. So he ended up in hospital because he was beaten so badly. Uh, Two months later, uh, a nine-year-old boy uh, was beaten because he entered the kitchen of a family of a higher caste than him. He also ended up in the hospital. Um, so that's the sort of ways that these people are treated with like terrible contempt and, and just horrible um, dehumanizing practices. Uh, and these people are really fed up with this, right? As you can imagine, you spend hundreds and hundreds of years being treated like this, you start to get fed up. They got so fed up that they elected 200 leaders to meet in secret to discuss how they might change their situation. And so I want to read, um, I got this from a news article, and I want to read this quote uh, at length for you to uh, kind of demonstrate what conclusion they came to. So uh, this is someone who was there, uh, whose name was changed for security reasons and all that sort of stuff, um, but they're not, their name's not quoted in the article. He said, we were more than 200. We have come together to convert to Christianity to save ourselves. We have all practiced a Hindu faith for generations since it was mandatory. 
But today the country is secularized and Hindu faith cannot save us. Those who torment and humiliate us are Hindus like us. By being named untouchables, we are judged from the bottom down. We cannot even touch lower caste people. We cannot enter their homes. We cannot touch public drinking water and cannot have access to public places. So what is this belief? Are we certain in this faith? We concluded no and decided to convert to Christianity. We are in danger everywhere and we are discriminated at any time. So we ask for the grace of Jesus because we have seen that there is no discrimination in Christianity. Now, how beautiful was that, that last sentence, right? No discrimination in Christianity. That's exactly like the first sentence in our reading for this morning, which we'll get to in a second. But those 200 people represented 50,000 people who all just converted like that en masse because there is no discrimination in Christianity. And so we're in Acts 10 this morning. And uh, you can go there in your Bibles. We're in Acts 10, chap, um, chapter 10. And um, you can read along, follow along. Um, and you'll see how this story in the Scripture connects with the Dalits and why they would con- convert en masse like that. We're in the middle of a series looking at the sermons in the book of Acts and how the early church shared the gospel and what we can learn from that for ourselves and for how we also share the gospel. And we've taken a bit of a time jump. We were in Acts chapter 4 last time. We're in Acts chapter 10 this time. As I said, there's way more than seven sermons in the Gospel of Acts, but we've got to pick uh, some of the highlights, kind of the greatest hits, if you will. Um, and um, so uh, we're going to jump into Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 34. And we'll do some background in a second, but let's read. So here we go. Peter began to speak. Now, I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism, but in every nation, the person who fears him and who does what is right is acceptable to him. He sent the message to the Israelites proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You know the events that took place throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil, because God was with him. We ourselves are witnesses of everything he did in both the Judean country and in Jerusalem, and yet they killed him by hanging him on a tree. God raised up this man on the third day and caused him to be seen. Not by all the people, but by us whom God appointed as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. So, Do you guys know the background to this story? This is um, Cornelius that Peter is preaching to. He's He's a Roman centurion, and he's given a vision of an angel who says, over in the town of Joppa at saying at the Simon the Tanner's place, there's a man called Peter. You need to send for him. Bring him here and listen to what he has to say because he's got something very important stuff to say to you. So that's Cornelius. Then at the same time, Peter's asleep on the roof uh, because that's apparently a really good place to sleep. And uh, he's having a vision as well. And you know his vision where the, the blanket um, descends from heaven and there's all these 
um, animals on it um, and they're unclean. And this voice says, Peter, take these and kill them and eat them. And he says, no, 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 I am uh, never touched anything unclean. and I'm not about to start now. And um, the voice says, what God has made clean, do not call impure. And then he wakes up and he's like, oh, I wonder what that means. And then these people arrive and, uh, from Cornelius and they're like, this guy wants to see you. And he's like, okay, I'll, I'll go. And he arrives at um, his house and Peter says this. You know, it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner. But God has shown me that I must not call any person impure or unclean. So Peter's starting to connect the dots here. He's... Um, He's realizing that these, peop- these are the people that God has sent him to and that actually no person is pure or unclean. Everyone has access to the same message about Jesus. And so that's the first thing that we can take away from this particular passage is that, um, is that uh, the core of the message is pretty much the same message. There's a basic message that's the foundation of every sermon that we've seen in the book of Acts so far and that we'll see going forward. Despite the fact that this major departure in audience for Peter uh, and that the, the culture and the understanding of a Roman centurion uh, would have been greatly different from the synagogues or the temples or the town squares that Peter is used to preaching in, yet the message remains the same. Here's the message that he preaches in four simple steps. Jesus Christ is Lord. Okay, so he says, you know, and, and he kind of expands on this. He's a man who was uh, sent from God. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He did wonders and signs, and they proved that he was who he said he was. Jesus Christ is Lord. Then the second thing is, despite this fact, he was crucified by the crowds in Jerusalem. So the, despite the fact that he did all these wonderful things, like he, you know, he fed people, he, uh, he healed them, he set them free, despite that, they crucified him. Okay? But, but, there's that beautiful word, God raised him up on the third day. And this is for the early church. This is the vindication of Jesus. This is like, no, the sacrifice was, uh, has an effect. It is a good sacrifice. It is approved by God. Jesus was who he said he was. God raised him up um, in validation of his works and his words. And then because of that, repent, believe, and be forgiven. Okay, so those are the four uh, kind of elements that Peter draws on to structure his messages. And this is the structure that we can use as well. When we share the gospel with people, uh, this is what we should share about who Jesus is and outline this larger idea that the message stays the same. So these, these core points stay the same no matter who we're sharing it with. I mean, if you think about who the three sermons that we're looking at so far, vastly different audiences. The first one was at Pentecost to the people on the street, whoever was kind of around, right? Uh, just people who happened to hear the, the disciples spill out onto the street speaking in these random languages. And they're like, well, what's going on? Then Peter gets up and preaches. Then the second one, was we looked at last week, was to the high priest and the Sanhedrin, the educated priestly people who knew the Torah, had memorized it, you know, and Peter preaches the same message to them that salvation is only found through Jesus. And then the third one is to a Roman centurion. But the message is the same. And so no matter who we share the gospel with, no matter what context, no matter who the audience is, the core message remains the same. That is the historical fact of Jesus' life 
his death and his resurrection and the efficacy of it, right? The fact that it has an effect. Those are what matter. Peter's clear that it's only through Jesus that forgiveness of sins is available. So the core stays the same, but you can say, see the way that Peter delivers the message is different. He doesn't spend in, in this particular sermon, which we read, and the Holy Spirit interrupts that sermon, and everyone's filled with the Spirit, and then they're all baptized. Um, in this particular message, G- Peter doesn't spend a lot of time quoting the Old Testament for people who wouldn't know it. They wouldn't know the story of Israel. They're not part of God's people. Um, so Peter doesn't know what frame of reference Cornelius has. He just met this guy. Um, the Acts tells us that Cornelius was a God-fearing man, which meant that he probably had some idea of what happened in the synagogue and what went on. But Peter doesn't know that. He's just encountered a Roman centurion, so he's no idea. So he just tells him, you know, you've heard about this guy, Jesus. This is what happened. This is who he is. He hits the highlights and he shares what's important. Jesus was a man who was powerful. He was sent from God. He died. Uh, he rose again. And it's through him and through his death and resurrection that forgiveness of sins is available. And so the gospel message does not change, but the way we share it can. We don't, I mean, you think about the different people you might share the gospel with. You, so someone from an atheist background, you're not going to use the, the same four spiritual laws that you might use with someone from maybe a Jehovah's Witness background or someone from an Islamic background or a spiritual but not religious background. Each of these uh, people are going to receive and have a different frame of reference and understanding to the gospel than each other. Even you think about different ages and stages of life, the different ways that you share the gospel with primary school versus high school versus university students. They're all different methods, different means, different packaging in order to share the same core message. And uh, we get to the next thing, which is really the focus of Peter's message here. Um, is that God shows no partiality. And Peter's sharing this because this is his revelation as well. So um, that means that Peter's talking to people who are considered to be outside of the chosen people of God. If you know the story of the Old Testament. You have, this, um, you have Adam, the first man, and everything goes wrong with Adam. And the whole world is corrupted, and then God's like, nah, no more. I'm going to destroy the world. I'm going to flood it. And he chooses one person and his family to continue the righteousness line. And that's Noah. And then the world's flooded and Noah uh, repopulates the earth. And then uh, everything goes wrong again. And God's like, no, I need to find someone else. And so I'm going to choose this one man and his family, Abram. And so the promises to Abram and his descendants. And so everyone who is a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob, uh, those, are, those are the covenant people. They are the ones who can claim to be able to um, be on the inside, be part of God's family, be part of the kingdom. Um, and, but Cornelius was an outsider. And this was all determined by the Torah. And we've talked about this before, the laws of Moses, the laws that God gave Moses in the wilderness that helped the people of Israel. Because God called and chose them, and then he said, this is how you will know that you are called and chosen. This is how you will know that you are part of the community because you will live your life in this way, yearly, daily, monthly basis. And it was a way of them living apart from the people around them, of distinguishing themselves. They had different laws and different ways of doing things. 
A modern example, if you're thinking about this, might be uh, the Mennonites or the Amish. This is classic picture right here of these guys here riding their horses and carts and not wearing, you know, exotic clothes and not having phones and technology and things like that. These guys stand out from the people around them. They live a different, simple, disciplined life that makes them actually a tourist attraction for people, right? People go and they take photos like this. They're like, oh, yeah, look, there we are. There's the Amish. We're going to take photos with them. Um, And they are governed by a code that dictates how the community lives and how the members of the community are how to behave. And so they know and they, I mean, we can tell, can't we, just by looking at them, that they're different from us and they can tell who's in the community and who's part of the English, which is kind of like just a word for whoever's not Amish, if you're not Amish or English. Um, Did you know, okay, these guys are all uh, Amish men. They have beards but no moustache. Okay, I found out why they have no moustache, why the Amish do their beards like this. Um, two reasons. One, it's the mark of a man to grow a beard. I can't disagree with that, to be honest. Um, but they don't, they're not allowed to have a mustache because back when the laws were made, mustaches were associated with soldiers and Amish are pacifists. And so they're like, no, can't have a mark of a soldier. So you've got to shave the mustache, but you've got to be a man. So you've got to keep the beard. So that's how they end up with those beards there. Really interesting, isn't it? Anyway, for the Jews, And the Amish, they're very similar. Their rules, behaviors, ways of dressing, customs, ways of speech, um, beards even. You know, there's laws in uh, the Torah about how you can wear your beard and things like that. So um, they distinguish who are part of the family of God and who are out. And the attitude of Jewish people, I'm sure you're aware, to outsiders, to Gentiles, um, is the same as their attitude to anything else that would be unclean, like graves or pigs, right? Right. And so because Cornelius is not part of the chosen people, he's not ethnically Jewish, he has no way in Peter's mind of inheriting the kingdom, which is why Peter starts by realizing, hold on a second, salvation is now available to everyone in the name of Jesus. And there was this big council in Jerusalem in Acts 15 about this because there was this big thing of like, well, can Gentiles be included? Peter's like, yes, they can, but then Do they have to keep the law and all of this stuff? And um, there was this big debate and this big letter sent out to the church. We see God is not interested, Peter realizes, in our ethnic makeup. He's not interested in where we come from on earth, who our parents are, what our ancestry is. He's interested in the condition of our heart. And we can see this in the earlier verse where God tells Peter in his dream, what God has made clean do not call impure. What God has made clean, do not call impure. So when God calls us and he saves us and we become part of his family, we're, we're made clean. We're no longer impure. And there's this great song that kind of illustrates this. It's called The Ground is Level. I don't know if you've, uh, if you've heard this song before. Uh, It's about 20, 21 years old or so. It says, you may own earth's silver, have riches untold, but all of earth's wealth, my friend, won't save your soul. You may live in a mansion, all the world know your name, but at the foot of the cross, my friend, everyone stands the same. You may be a beggar, have nothing to wear, may eat at a table without one crumb to spare, but at the foot of the cross, my friend, everyone's the same. You may stand by a king, oh, but at the foot of the cross, my friend, you may stand by a king because all the earth's money won't mean 
anything. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Anyone may come there, for there is no cost. Rich man or poor man, bonded or free, the ground was leveled that day at Calvary. So the cross of Christ is the great leveler of humanity. Despite your background, your sin, success, failure, ethnicity, whatever kind of identity you've either put on yourself or someone else has put on you, when you come to the cross, you're made new, you're restored. Uh, Paul says it by saying that we are a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And he celebrates it in Galatians as well by saying there is no Jew or Greek, right? Those are the ethnic markers that we're just talking about, right? There's no Amish or English, okay? There's no Jew or Greek, Jew or Gentile. There's no slave or free. There's no male or female. Those distinctions don't matter to God. When he saves you, when you're in Christ Jesus, we're all counted as equal. We're all one and the same. And this was uh, proved practically, actually, in the second or third century when a slave became pope. So he was at the same time out in society. He wasn't even a citizen of the Roman Empire. Yet in the church, he was the most powerful person that there was. So uh, that's what Paul is kind of setting out here, that in the church, in Christ, there is no distinction like that. This is good news for us. And it's good news for everyone. There is this new way to God. It's not through keeping the law. It's not through behaving in a certain way. It's not through being born in a certain time or place to a certain parents or to have a certain descendant ancestors. The way is open no matter who we are, no matter what we've done. There's no favorites in the kingdom of God. Paul puts it like this in Romans. He says, There will be affliction and distress for every human being who does evil, first to the Jew and also to the Greek, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does what is good, first to the Jew and also to the Greek, for there is no favoritism with God. Paul is saying, like, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew. If you are evil, you are going to suffer affliction and distress. So you could be part of God's chosen people ethnically, but if you are evil, if your heart isn't transformed and you are not obeying God and you are not haven't accepted the gospel then you will be afflicted just as much as the non-Jewish people. But if you are non-Jewish and you are faithful, following, you honor and you glorify and you worship Jesus, then you will also get glory and honor and peace along with the Jews who are faithful. Because there is no favoritism. He's saying God doesn't look at your ethnic makeup. He doesn't look at your your background. He doesn't look at what your parents did. doesn't look at what your grandparents did. You can't earn spiritual points just by being part of, uh, just by being part of a particular group of people. You come to God and you yourself are faithful. You uh, repent and believe the good news. And so the question that comes out of this, if God shows no partiality and no favoritism, and the question that I want to leave us today with is do we do that if God doesn't do that and we're supposed to be followers of God when we preach the gospel when we encounter people when we look at people when we relate to people do we show favoritism or partiality 
Are there people that we might be leaving out because we think, oh, well, they don't need to hear the gospel or maybe we just shouldn't proclaim it to them. Well, they make me feel uncomfortable, so I'm just going to leave them off to the side. They're people who we avoid, not even just with the gospel, not even just with the message of life, but just in general. Are there people we look down on? These are questions for us to consider as we respond this morning, as Matt comes to, to lead us in response. Do we treat people equally? Do we love people the same? You know, we're supposed to love God and we're supposed to love our neighbor. And our neighbor is not just our brothers and sisters in Christ. Our neighbor is everyone that we come into contact with. How do we treat them? So this morning as we, as we respond, that's something for us to think about. How, God, are we treating those that we come into contact with? And are there some people that we do come into contact with that we may need to treat differently? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have made a new way for us to come to you. That it's not through uh, rules and, and behaviors and things that we can't possibly do on our own. But it was at your initiative It was with your um, grace that you pursued us and you have made this way. And we just pray uh, this morning that you would make that real to us. And we're just so thankful to you that you have done this for us. We're just so thankful, Lord. We ask that you would speak to us this morning if there is any uh, area of our life, any part of our life where we have... uh, not modeled ourselves after you in this area. Lord, we thank you that it doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter what we've done. doesn't matter what our background is. doesn't matter what our parents have done, what our, um, what our grandparents, what our, our line of descent is, Lord, where we are from. doesn't matter what ethnicity we are, what country we come from, what's, what economic background we are, Lord. At the foot of the cross, the ground is level. And we are all, we are all, your sons and daughters. We thank you for that. And we just ask that you would give us that same understanding for the people around us, for those who uh, we encounter, Lord, that each one of them is made in your image. Each one of them is precious to you. Each one of them is someone for who you died and who you want to see as part of your family. So we just pray that you would help us to see others that way and to love others the way that you have loved us with that agape, self sacrificial love that love that goes the extra mile that love that serves that love that as first corinthians says so eloquently bears all things believes all things hopes all things lord that's not proud not self-serving but looks out for the needs of others help us to love the way that you love and so as we respond Lord, we ask that you would speak to us quicken our hearts, convict us of where we need to live more like you, and then give us the power through your spirit to do that, Lord, one step at a time. In Jesus' name, amen.